Warning, today's story contains graphic descriptions of crime scenes, adult dialogue, and strong language. Viewer discretion is advised. Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of the Radium Girls. I'm Sarah. And I'm Valerie. And today... Happy Halloween! Oh my god! <laughs> Happy Halloween! <laughs> if you're watching this today, the day we put it out, it is actually a Monday, and it's Halloween! Mm-hmm. My favorite, favorite, favorite holiday. We got the spooky for you! Yeah, if you call it a holiday. Yeah, today's story is going to be really dark, um, yeah. as we told you guys in last week's story, and if you haven't watched last week's story, you should go watch it. Yeah. But, um... Yeah, we got a really dark one today for you on Halloween, yes. and just let us know, huh? So just a warning. Just a warning. Let us know in the comments down below if you dressed up. Let us know what you dressed up as, and um, if you did not dress up, let us know like what what your child dressed up as or something like that, <laughs> or whatever. I just want to hear the costumes of this year. Yeah, I'm sure there were some Dahmers out there. Oh yeah, definitely. Anyways, let's get into today's story. Yeah, and um, get ready. <laughs> Buckle up. Buckle Hold up. Hold on to your butts. Hold on to your butts. <laughs> Lawrence Bittaker and Roy Norris were a pair of serial killers who were known as the Toolbox Killers. The Toolbox Killers were responsible for five murders of teenage girls in 1979. Even though the number of murders that they are responsible for are much lower than other notorious serial killers, it is the brutality of their crimes that have made them infamous. I'm sorry, y'all. If you're watching, you see me smiling. I'm not smiling about the story. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just waiting for Valerie to notice what I did. If she hasn't already. The capital? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Lawrence Bittaker was born in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania on September 27, 1940 to a couple who immediately put him up for adoption. Lawrence Bittaker's criminal history would start at 12 for a series of thefts. Lawrence had a high IQ, 138, but did poorly in school and soon would find himself incarcerated at the California Youth Authority. When he was finally released from the CYA, Lawrence would find out his adopted parents disowned and completely cut him out of their lives. Damn. Roy Norris was born in Greeley, Colorado on February 5th, 1948, out of wedlock. His parents would marry, but it was a disaster from the beginning. Roy Norris was in and out of the foster care system for most of his young life. Eventually, Roy Norris would join the Navy, where he would serve one tour before being honorably discharged. Soon after Lawrence Spitaker was discharged from the California Youth Authority, he was still a vehicle and drive across state lines, which would result in an 18-month sentence in the Oklahoma State Reformatory. When he was finally released, he would return to California, where he would be arrested, convicted, and sentenced to 15 years in prison. However, he would only serve two years before he was released. Bittaker would soon break his parole and would be sent back to prison. In 1967, he would be released from prison again on parole, even though the prison psychiatrist diagnosed him as a psychopath. <laughs> again, Lawrence would be arrested for leaving the scene of an accident and received an additional five years in prison. Lawrence would spend the next three years in prison before being released yet again. 
He was released from prison in 1974, and soon after, he would be arrested for stabbing a grocery store employee after he was confronted for stealing food. Once again, he would be sent back to prison. Roy Nelson, after being discharged from the Navy, would soon be arrested after he forced his way into a car and attempted to sexually assault a woman. Roy Nelson would attempt to force his way into a woman's home, who thankfully was able to call police. While out on bail, Roy Nelson would attack a college student who was struck repeatedly with a rock. Damn. Roy Nelson would be sentenced to five years in prison at the Atascadero State Hospital, where he was classified as a mentally disorganized sex offender. For some reason, the team of doctors would declare him no longer a threat to society and released him in 1975. Shouldn't have done that. No. <laughs> Soon after his release, Roy Nelson would sexually assault a woman and would be sent back to prison where he would meet Lawrence Bittaker. Lawrence and Roy would meet at the California Men's Colony, where they struck up a friendship after finding out that they shared the same interests when it came to women. Soon after they were released, the two would meet up again, and California was not ready for what was about to begin. Oh no, that's ominous. Mm-hmm. In order for the pair to abduct teenage girls, Bittaker decided they would need a van as opposed to a car. With financial assistance from Norris, Bittaker purchased a silver-gray 1977 GMC Vandura in February 1979. The vehicle was windowless on one side and had a large passenger side sliding door. According to Bittaker, when viewing the sliding door, he realized he or Norris could pull up to a teenage girl real close and not have to open the doors all the way. The pair would nickname this van Murder Mac. Over a time period, Lawrence and Roy would pick up over 20 female hitchhikers in what they would later call training runs in which they did not assault the females, but instead... They perfected their ruses in secluded locations, which would be used in the toolbox killer murders. In late April, the pair found an isolated fire road in the San Gabriel Mountains. Bittaker broke open the locked gate with a crowbar and replaced the lock with one he owned. Damn. The first murder was 16-year-old Lucinda Lynn Schaefer, who was abducted on June 24, 1979. Shot. Almost my birthday. When she was leaving a church meeting. After unsuccessfully attempting to entice Schaefer into their van with alternative offers of marijuana and a lift home, Bittaker and Norris drove further ahead and parked alongside a driveway. Norris then exited the vehicle, opened the passenger side sliding door, and leaned into the van with his head and shoulders obscured from view behind the door. When Schaefer passed the van, Norris exchanged a few words with her before dragging her into the van and closing the door. That's something you see on the movies. I know, right? It's crazy. Using a ruse they would repeat in most of their subsequent murders, Bittaker turned the radio to full volume as Norris bound the victim's arms and legs and gagged her with duct tape as Bittaker drove Schaefer to the fire road in the San Gabriel Mountains, where in April the pair had previously switched the locks. At the fire road, Norris first raped Schaefer after instructing Bittaker to go take a walk and return in one hour. Upon returning the van, Bittaker similarly raped the girl in Norris's absence. 
Upon the second occasion in which she was raped by Norris in Bittaker's absence, Schaefer asked him whether they intended to kill her, to which Norris replied no. In response, Schaefer requested to be allowed time to pray before she was killed if that was Bittaker and Norris's intention. Damn. In their accounts of the actual murder, Bittaker and Norris gave different accounts as to who argued over whether they should kill her rather than release her. Each stated the other argued that they should kill her. In any event, Schaefer pleaded for only a second to pray before Norris attempted to manually strangle her. After approximately 45 seconds, he became disturbed at the look in her eyes and ran to the front of the van vomiting. What? Bittaker then manually strangled Schaefer until she collapsed to the ground and began convulsing. He then twisted a wire coat hanger around her neck with vice grip pliers until Schaefer's convulsion ceased. Schaefer was denied her request to pray before Bittaker and Norris killed her. Schaefer's body was wrapped in a plastic shower curtain and thrown over a steep canyon Bittaker had selected. According to Norris, after Bittaker had thrown Schaefer over the canyon, Bittaker assured him that animals would eat her up so there wouldn't be any evidence left. It's fucked up. Mm-hmm. On July 8, 1979, two weeks after the murder of Schaefer, Bittaker and Norris encountered 18-year-old Andrea Joy Hall hitchhiking along the Pacific Coast Highway. As the pair slowed the van to offer Hall a lift, another vehicle pulled over and offered Hall exactly that, which she accepted. Bittaker and Norris followed the vehicle from a distance until Hall exited the vehicle in Redondo Beach. Oh, no. On this occasion, Norris hid in the back of the van in order to dupe Hall into believing Bittaker was traveling alone. Inside the van, Bittaker offered Hall a cold drink from the cooler in the rear of the van. Norris, who had hidden behind a bedspread in the rear of the van, pounced on Hall when she attempted to retrieve the drink and, after a strenuous fight, managed to subdue her by twisting her arm behind her back, causing her to scream in pain. Norris then gagged Hall with adhesive tape and bound her wrists and ankles. Bittaker and Norris drove Hall to a location in the San Gabriel Mountains beyond where they had earlier taken Schaefer. At this location, she was raped twice by Bittaker and once by Norris. While Bittaker was raping Hall for the second time, Norris saw what he believed to be vehicle headlights approaching. Bittaker clasped his hand over Hall's mouth and dragged her into nearby bushes as Norris drove in an unsuccessful search for the vehicle he thought he had seen. When he returned, the pair drove to a location further in the San Gabriel Mountains. Bittaker forced Hall to walk uphill naked alongside the road and then to perform oral sex on him before ordering Hall to pose for several Polaroid pictures. Damn. Bittaker and Norris drove Hall to a third location, where Bittaker again walked Hall up a nearby hill, this time as Norris drove to a nearby store to purchase alcohol. When Norris returned, Bittaker was alone and in possession of two further Polaroid pictures he had taken, both of which depicted Hall's face and expressions Norris later described as being of sheer terror, as she begged for her life to be spared. Bittaker informed Norris that he had told Hall that he was going to kill her and challenged her to give him as many reasons as she could come up with as to why she should be allowed to live before thrusting an ice pick through her ear into her brain. 
Ugh. <laughs> Ow. <laughs> he then turned her body over and thrust the ice pick into the other ear, stomping on it until the handle broke. Oh, my God. Oh, that's so sad. Bittaker then strangled Hall before throwing her body off of a cliff. My God. So he's definitely more fucked up. Yeah. Oh. On September 3rd, Bittaker and Norris observed two girls named Jackie Doris Gillum and Jacqueline Lee Lamp sitting on a bus stop bench near Hermosa Beach. Lamp and Gillum had been hitchhiking along the Pacific Coast Highway before Bittaker and Norris observed them as they were resting at the bus stop. Bittaker and Norris offered the girls a ride, which Gillum and Lamp accepted. Inside the van, both girls were offered marijuana by Norris, which they accepted. It's the 70s, man. <laughs> Shortly after entering the van, both girls realized that Bittaker had steered the van off the Pacific Coast Highway and was driving in the direction of the San Gabriel Mountains. When the girls protested, both Bittaker and Norris attempted to ally the girls' concerns with excuses, which did not deceive either girl. Lamp, who was 13, holy fuck, attempted to open the sliding door, whereupon Norris hit her on the back of her head with a bag filled with lead weights, briefly knocking her unconscious before overpowering 15-year-old Gillum. Yeah. As he began to bind and gag Gillum, Lamp regained consciousness and again attempted to flee the van, whereupon Norris twisted her arm behind her back and dragged her back into the van. Damn. They're so young. I know. It's looking sad. As the struggle ensued, Bittaker, noting the girls' struggle, was in full view of potential witnesses, stopped the van, punched Gillum in the face, and assisted Norris in finishing binding and gagging the two girls. Gillum and Lamp were driven to the San Gabriel Mountains, where they were held captive for almost two days, being bound and gagged between repeated instances of sexual and physical abuse. Both men slept in the van alongside their two hostages, which, with each alternatively acting as a lookout. On one occasion, Bittaker walked Lamp onto a nearby hill and forced her to pose for pornographic pictures before returning her to the van. Bittaker also asked Norris to take several Polaroid pictures of himself and Gillum, both nude and clothed. In the first of three instances in which Bittaker raped Gillum, he also created a tape recording of himself raping her, forcing the girl to pretend she was his cousin and informing Gillum to feel free to express her pain. Oh, that's oh fucked. God. Bittaker is also known to have tortured Gillum by stabbing her breast with an ice pick and using vice grip pliers to tear off part of one nipple. Ow! Oh my god! <laughs> Holy fuck! These poor girls! Yeah! After almost two days in captivity, Lamp and Gillum were murdered. At Bittaker's subsequent trial, Norris claimed that he had suggested that Gillum be killed quickly as, unlike Lamp, she had been largely cooperative throughout the period of her captivity, whereupon Bittaker replied, No. They only die once anyway. Damn. Dang. Gillum was struck in each ear with an ice pick and then strangled to death. After Bittaker had murdered Gillum, then forced Lamp, he then forced Lamp out of the van. 
Upon exiting the sliding door, Bittaker shouted to her, You wanted to say a virgin, now you can die a virgin. Before Norris struck her upon the head with a sledgehammer. Bittaker then strangled Lamp until he believed she had died. When Lamp opened her eyes, Norris again bludgeoned her repeatedly as Bittaker strangled her to death. The bodies of Gillum and Lamp were thrown over an embankment into the chaparral. Damn. Bittaker and Norris abducted their final victim, 16-year-old Shirley Lynette Ledford, on October 31st, 1979. Hey, it's Halloween! <laughs> Whoa. <laughs> Whoa. <laughs> Don't we try to do that sometimes? Like, find a story? That's crazy. That sucks, but that's crazy. It sucks, yeah, it sucks, <laughs> but it's, it's, we didn't plan that. This no, is cool. I totally forgot I even said that. <laughs> Ledford was abducted as she stood outside a gas station, hitchhiking home from a Halloween party in the suburbs of Los Angeles. Investigators believe Ledford accepted a ride home from Bittaker and Norris because she recognized Bittaker as he is known to have frequented the restaurant in which Ledford held a part-time job as a waitress. Damn. Messed up. Mm-hmm. Upon accepting the offer of a lift home and entering the van, Ledford was offered marijuana by Norris, which she refused. Bittaker drove the van to a secluded street where Norris drew a knife, then bound and gagged Ledford with construction tape. Bittaker then traded places with Norris, who drove in an aimless manner for an excess of an hour as Bittaker remained with Ledford in the back of the van. After removing the construction tape from the girl's mouth and legs, Bittaker tormented Ledford, initially slapping and mocking her, then beating her with his fist as he repeatedly shouted for her to say something, then as Ledford began screaming, shouting for her to scream louder. As Ledford continued screaming, Bittaker began asking her as he struck her, What's the matter? Don't you like to scream? Oh my god. No. No. <laughs> As Ledford began to cry, she's pleaded with Bittaker, repeatedly saying, No, don't touch me. In response, Bittaker again ordered for her to scream as loud as she wished, then began alternately striking her with a hammer, beating her breasts in with his fists, and torturing her with pliers both between and throughout instances when he raped and sodomized her. Damn. Repeatedly, Ledford can be heard pleading for the abuse to cease and making statements such as, Oh no, no! as sounds of Bittaker alternately extracting either the sledgehammer or the pliers from the toolbox can be heard on a tape recorder he had switched on after entering the rear of the van. Norris later described hearing screams, constant screams, emanating from the rear of the van as he drove. Shortly after Norris switched places with Bittaker, he himself switched on the tape recorder that Bittaker had used to record much of the time he had been in the rear of the van with Ledford. Norris first shouted for Ledford to go ahead and scream or I'll make you scream. In response, Ledford pleaded, I'll scream if you stop hitting me. Then emitted several high-pitched screams as Norris encouraged her to continue until he ordered her to stop. Norris then reached for the sledgehammer as Ledford, seeing him do this, screamed, Oh no! Norris then struck Ledford once upon the left elbow. Oh ha ha! The elbow. Oh my god, someone who broke their elbow. Ow. In response, she informed Norris he had broken her elbow before pleading, don't hit me again. 
In response, Norris again raises Sledgehammer as Ledford repeatedly screamed, No! Norris then proceeded to strike Ledford 25 consecutive times upon the same elbow with the sledgehammer before asking her, What are you sniveling about? As Ledford continuously screamed and wept. Mm. Whoo! After approximately two hours of captivity, Norris killed Ledford by strangling her with a wire coat hanger, which he tightened with pliers. Ledford did not react much to the act of strangulation, although she died with her eyes open. Bittaker then opted to discard her body on a random lawn in order to view the reaction from press. Wow. The pair drove to a randomly selected house in the Sunland, where Norris discarded Ledford's body in a bed of ivy upon the front lawn. Ledford's body was found by a jogger the following morning. An autopsy revealed that, in addition to having been sexually violated, she had died of strangulation after receiving extensive blunt force trauma to the face, head, breast, and left elbow with her... Alecranon. Dang. With her alecranon sustaining multiple fractures. Ish. Just her elbow. Her genitalia and rectum had been torn, caused in part by Bittaker having inserted pliers inside her body. In addition, her left hand bore a puncture wound and a finger on her right hand had been slashed. Bittaker would later claim the tape recording the pair had created of Ledford's clear abuse and torture offered nothing other than the evidence of a threesome. Wow. Adding that, toward the very end... Ledford was screaming for him and Norris to kill her. God. That's terrible. Okay. Roy Nelson would meet a man he knew from prison and would tell him about what he and Lawrence were up to over the last few months and would provide details about the Shirley Lynette Ledford murder, the only murder made public at the time. Needless to say, the police would find out... And soon Lawrence Bittaker and Roy Nelson were in custody on a variety of charges. On November 20th, 1979, Norris was arrested by the Hermosa Beach Police for parole violation caused by dealing marijuana. The same day, at the Burbank Motel where he resided, Bittaker was arrested for the rape of Robin Robick. A search of Bittaker's apartment revealed several Polaroid photographs which were determined as depicting Hall and Gillum, both of whom had been reported as missing earlier the same year. Inside Bittaker's van, investigators discovered a sledgehammer, a plastic bag filled with lead weights, a book detailing how to locate police radio frequencies, a jar of Vaseline, two necklaces later confirmed as belonging to two of the victims, and a tape recording of a young woman in obvious distress, screaming and repeatedly pleading for mercy while being tortured and sexually abused. The mother of Ledford, named by Jackson as being one of the girls whom Norris had confessed he and Bittaker had killed, identified the voice on the tape as being that of her only daughter, the voices of the two men mocking and threatening Ledford in the process of her torture and abuse were identified as being Roy Norris and Lawrence Bittaker. Also found in Bittaker's motel were seven bottles of various acidic materials. Investigators would later discover Bittaker planned to use these acidic materials upon their next victim. Oof. I don't have any words. This is so bad. Bring it. 
Inside Norris's apartment, police discovered a bracelet he had taken from Ledford's body as a souvenir. Also found at the homes of both Bitteker and Norris were Polaroid pictures of almost 500 teenage girls and young women, most of which had apparently been taken at Redondo Beach and Hermosa Beach, with others taken by Bitteker at a Burbank High School. Wow, they're creepy. Yeah. 500. Oh my gosh. Most of these pictures have been taken without the girls' knowledge or consent. It's creepy. Yeah. I just wonder if there's any pictures of me as a kid growing up or even now right. out there on people's phones that, like, mm-hmm. I had no idea took them. I always wonder that, too. It's creepy. It is. <laughs> Norris agreed to return to the San Gabriel Mountains to search for the bodies of the girls to whose abduction and murder he had confessed to assisting in. In each instance, Norris brought detectives to the area where he and Bittaker had disposed of their victims' bodies. Despite extensive searches of the areas where he stated the bodies of Schaefer and Hall had been discarded, their bodies were never found. On February 9, 1980, the skeletonized bodies of Lamp and Gillum were found at the bottom of a canyon alongside a dry riverbed. The bodies were scattered over an area measuring hundreds of feet in diameter. An ice pick was still lodged in the skull of Gillum. The skull of Lamp bore multiple indentations, evidence of the numerous hammer blows Norris had stated he inflicted. Damn. That's crazy. Mm-hmm. Roy Nelson would make a full confession to police about the five murders in exchange for prosecutors to take the death penalty off the table. Roy Nelson would ultimately be sentenced to life in prison and would die behind bars in February 2020. Bye. Mm. Lawrence Bittaker would go on trial for the five murders and attempted to blame everything on Roy Nelson. Needless to say, it did not work as he was found guilty on all charges and sentenced to death. Lawrence Bittaker would die from natural causes 40 years later on California death row in December 2019. Bye! He got off easy. He did, though. <laughs> they both did. Mm-hmm. They really did. Damn. It's a crazy story. Yeah, no, that's, that's pretty crazy. I've never heard this one before. It's dark. Oh, man. The ice picks. Like, I know. Like, anything to the brain, I'm like, uh, <laughs> I can't. Yeah. And that's what got me on that last story. It was... Yes. The, yeah. Can, mm, no. Stop with the brain. <laughs> I can't. Like, that's so terrible it and is. so sad for their families. They were so young. Yes. And I don't, I don't know if I should put this up there. Um, if you really want to be, like, disturbing, <laughs> there's, uh, transcripts of that last video that they took. Really? Mm-hmm. You can go out there and read them. Wow. But there's no video. You can't watch the video. You did, there, there wasn't... Did they record a video? There was a video, but... Oh, um, yeah. They, yeah, they just use the sound. Yeah. Gotcha. Yeah. Oh, gotcha, gotcha. Okay, it's following. It's catching it. <laughs> Rain, you know. Yes, but oh man, I feel sorry for all those girls. Yeah, that's horrible. And just what? What? I, I don't understand. Like, what does one have to go through to be that dark? Right. Like, I don't. Oh man, that's so messed up. That's crazy. I mean, we kind of talked about their childhood a little bit, like a little, you know. but I mean, it didn't seem too terrible, right? <laughs> I don't know. No. Like, what stabs some people? I mean, his parents put him up for adoption and. 
Yeah. Started stealing. I get it, but I, I, his IQ was too high. That's what it was for Lawrence. Yeah. Damn. <laughs> it's just freaking crazy. Like, I can't comprehend. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I just, just there's can't no imagine. Words. Yeah, I can't. I'm like, what? Yeah. How? Why? I don't have anything. I never it's- even, like, hit a person. So I'll be like... <laughs> <laughs> I can't even go there. Yeah. <laughs> That's crazy. I've never gotten to like a, a full on fight. I've definitely, you know, kinda kinda punched someone. What about your sisters? Me and A it was more like push fights. I know April scratched the hell out of my arm one time <laughs> and I had like three white scars from it. Oh like, my god. Like scratch cat. marks like a cat <laughs> yeah i know i had that for a long time they kind of went away as i got older but yeah she left her mark <laughs> she did she did um but no not not so much amber was pretty peaceful if we got into fights it was more arguing with our vocals and then yeah. cold sh- shoulder each other <laughs> yeah so i mean april fought over clothes mm-hmm. so no can't say yeah. i have Never hit anyone, got in a fight, nothing. Mm-hmm. So I'm just being peaceful over here. Yeah, right? <laughs> just let me live in peace. That's crazy. Well, this story was really dark, uh, mm-hmm. so I hope you had a happy Halloween, and, you know, that was just, like, the cherry on top of your day. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> something. <laughs> Go yeah. have a shot or two. <laughs> yeah. I know it's a Monday, but hey, after that story. Yeah, and it's a Monday. You need a shot. <laughs> yeah, for real, for real. Thank you guys for listening. Um, we have a Facebook page and an Instagram. If you want to follow us on there, it's the Right Am Girls Podcast. Don't forget to subscribe to our YouTube channel so that you can see our beautiful faces. And if you're not able to do YouTube and you prefer to listen to us, um, thank you. We are on all of your favorite podcast sites like Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and others. So, And if we're not, let us know. Um, on our YouTube channel or through our Facebook or Instagram, wherever you can find us. We also have an email, the Radium Girls Podcast at gmail.com. So if there's a topic you want to hear, let us know. And yeah, thanks again for listening to today's spooky episode. I don't know if it's so much spooky as it is dark. Terrifying. <laughs> Terrifying. That's a good one. Yeah. Thank you guys. As always, stay, stay curious. curious.